Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Happy New Year. Eric, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good afternoon. What a great year it is to take your dog for a walk. A good point. <laughs> and, and what a great day as well uh, yeah. within that year to take your dog for a walk. It's 50 degrees outside with sunshine. Is it really? Yeah. First mm-hmm. week of January. Weird. Uh, I don't know. I think I was thinking it was colder out, but I think it's because it has been cold. Wherever you are listening from, I hope it's as nice as it is here. The city sure is beautiful when it's sunny. Nice to see the light. Um, did you have a good New Year? I did, Holidays yeah. and all that? Yeah, super laid back, but mm-hmm. uh, very nice. Yeah. Are you a resolution kind of guy? You know, I am such a procrastinator <laughs> that even though I think I should make a resolution, yeah. I usually don't get around to them like, until like, the end of January, I think, like, oh, okay, yeah, I should really make some resolutions. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon, and I saw a lot this year about sort of an anti-resolution uh, sort of thoughts about, like, you, you know, resol- I saw one that was actually kind of interesting. It's like, resol- you know, resol- to resolve means to fix something and you're not broken, so... Something basically about, like, don't worry about it. Hmm. But then at the same time, it's also, like, How an opportunity ever... for right. people to sort of try to better themselves or finally achieve something that they haven't yet. Or, And then, of course, people make resolutions for their dogs. We're going Good to... Good luck with that. <laughs> well, like, we're going to, you know, get our dog off of kibble and oh, okay. feed our dog Res- better Resolutions food. of how they right. are, are treating right. their dog, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Or, like, going to walk the dog more or, you know, stuff Those are like good that. resolutions. Yeah. Take a training class or take a nose work class or, you know, stuff like that, which I think is cool. If you're making the resolution for your dog, yeah. though, that, that uh, might not pan out so well. <laughs> We Sparky, about, yeah. this year, you you're going to really stop eating the cat food. <laughs> you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you made a resolution not to jump on people anymore, remember? Right, remember. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work out so well. Well, uh, it's an exciting time. Um, I've been, I've talked a little bit about this on the show, um, but not too much. I'm just finishing writing my first book, and it's been a humbling process. It's taking quite quite a bit of time to organize it, but it's been really fun and really exciting. And it's actually almost um, done now from for my part of it anyway. And so I'll be ready to hand it off soon um, for editing and uh, and stuff like that. And in preparation for that, we are sort of cleaning up the dog show website. Uh, the website got a makeover about a year ago, and then um, we're actually doing some more cool things to that and part of that work. And then I'm also building a new site uh, to kind of tie everything together for once the book is published. And in uh, part of that work has been uh, one of my assignments is to choose my top like 20 or 25 episodes of all time. And we have you know, over 350 episodes archived online now. So um, it's not easy. I I think my list is at like 35 now. And even that's kind of hard. 
So I think I'm having to kind of um, trim it back a little bit. But it was cool because, um, you know, there's some guests like Mark Beckoff, for example. I've interviewed him twice. And so I know I knew, oh, well, certainly one of my interviews with him will be one of my top 25 for sure. But which one? So then I went back and listened to both of my interviews with him. Uh, same thing with Dr. Brian Hare. Um, he was on, he hosted Nat Geo Wild's um, Is Your Dog a Genius? I talked with him at the beginning of this year, uh, last year, I should say. Um, I've, but I've, he's also the co-author of is of uh, The Genius of Dogs and the co-founder of Dognition.com. And I've talked about that a few times on the show too. Well, which interview with Brian Hare would I want to choose? So I went back and listened to both of those as well. And I don't, you know, go back and listen to the shows after I do them. So it was really kind of fun for me to listen to these shows again and um, listen to my guests and sort of relearn what I had learned or sort of be refreshed of what I had learned. And I was talking to Darcy. I was like, this is actually kind of interesting. So that was kind of cool. So it's been a fun process. And um, I'm going to talk today about, um, well, we're going to, uh, air a conversation that I had um, back in 2013 about this uh, cover of Psychology Today back um, in that month. I think it was November of 2013. So it was, you know, somewhere around that time, the cover of the magazine Psychology Today, which I, you know, come across at grocery stores sometimes as I'm just waiting to check out. And it said, um, the power of no. And I thought as a dog trainer, uh, ooh, that's interesting because there's so much debate and disagreement within my field about, you know, should you tell your dog no? And if you, if people think that it's okay, then, then how and when and how is, you know. And so yeah, there's kind of this whole like praise, praise and correction praise versus correction. And as I will talk in the next segment, I think that a balance of both is is the best for dogs. And of course, every dog is different. So I'm going to get into that in the next segment and then um, also talk about uh, some of the research that I did for my book, which is really about um, my experience working with clients over the last, you know, f- almost 14 years, uh, coaching people how to communicate with their dogs. And and then also what I've learned personally being in this conversation full time, you know, this is my full time work. When I'm not doing the radio show, I'm, you know, working with dog training and behavior, doing private lessons. And it's had an impact on me as well. I mean, learning and learning, refining my skill and um, developing a mastery of this sort of language, I guess. And um, being in the conversation day in and day out with people has taught me a lot as well. And it's, uh, you know, learning to work with and communicate with your dog is an opportunity to increase your self-awareness in some pretty profound ways. I mean, because you're asking, you know, well, what's a dog's language? It's using their body, their energy, their movement, um, presence, posture. And... um that's kind of a big topic. There's a lot attached with that. And so I, uh, it's an opportunity to increase self-awareness, especially asking people to, you know, get in your body. Uh, you know, I think especially around New Year's time is a place where you see 
that reflected where a lot of people, at least in America, struggle with their relationship with their bodies, um, men and women. And uh, that's why you see all these people joining gyms and going on diets and all that kind of stuff uh, as part of their New Year's resolutions. So it's not something I take for granted to ask somebody to change their posture as they're working with their dog or um, take up more space in the room. Um, and You know, it brings up broader topics of conversation about leadership and all that kind of stuff. So it's really cool. I get into a lot of depth about that. And um, so I'm going to talk in the next segment about the word no. But I thought in this first segment... Um, there's kind of the other part of that, which is the praise part, right? So praise and correction. So in working with dogs, we let, you know, in, in, in any given moment, you can let your dog know that you like what they're doing, that they've made the right choice or that you like that and that you'd like to see that again, or that you're reinforcing certain behaviors or actions. And I use the word good. Um... And you want to be specific, good sit, good down, good leave it. Oh, I like that. And letting the dog know that you really appreciate that. And then, you know, spending most of your time and energy focused on what you want. But then in certain situations, especially socially, if your dog does something inappropriate, uh, you know, you can let them know, no, I don't, that's not okay. That's crossing a line. I'm setting a limit there. And then, you know, how do you do that? Well, I came across... Well, actually, it was sent to me from a friend. Um, a friend of mine forwarded me an article in the New York Times titled, this was a little while back, uh, Learning to Love Criticism. And it speaks to the inequality women face in society and in corporations, um, especially women in leadership roles. So it talks about their experience of criticism. The article cites that across 248 reviews from 28 companies, managers, whether male or female, gave female employees more negative feedback than they gave male employees. Second, 76% of the negative feedback given to women included some kind of personality criticism, such as comments that the woman was abrasive, judgmental, or strident. Only 2% of men's critical reviews included negative personality comments compared to the 76% for women. So it's interesting, not only were women given more negative feedback in general, but it was often more of a personal criticism, which we could appreciate as more emotionally charged. Criticism can be tough to swallow even when it's constructive, but how does somebody adjust their personality based off of criticism given for it? More importantly, how does a woman set boundaries and be in a strong, a, be a strong leader when she's constantly worried about being likable or unlikable? So the article continues, women have been socialized to not rock the boat, to be above all else likable. Um, and I've definitely heard a lot of this sort of swirling around in the conversation of, you know, women's empowerment and leadership and kind of bringing into balance, um, you know, men and women in power. And um, this whole thing about being likable. Uh, the author hits the nail on the head and speaks to uh, a really important point. There's another deeper factor that informs women's relationship to criticism and praise. 
For centuries, women couldn't protect their own safety through physical, legal, or financial means. We couldn't rely on the law, and still can't, if our safety was threatened, if we uh, we couldn't use our own money to escape or safeguard ourselves and our children because we could not own property back in the day. So being likable or at least acceptable to stronger, more powerful others was one of our primary available survival strategies. For many women around the world, this is still the reality, but all women inherit the psychological legacy of that history. Disapproval, criticism, and the withdrawal of others' approval can feel so petrifying for us at times, life-threatening even, because for millennia it was. So, um, you know, it's interesting to think about women's... So I focus on women, one, because I am a woman, and so that's the perspective I can relate to, but also, you know, probably off the top of my head, easily 80... 85, maybe 90% of my clients over the years have been women. And the dog industry is much more heavily populated with women as well. Professionals, people who participate in dog classes, dog sports, you know, compared with men, it's a higher, uh, you know, higher ratio of women. So, you know, if the dog industry is essentially run by women, um, and then it's also this place where there's so much disagreement about praise and correction, don't correct your dog. Don't, um, you know, don't tell your dog no. And um, so what the, how this kind of ties in for me is I just wonder, you know, what, what our relationship to criticism has to do with uh, how we think we should treat dogs and, and you know, are we projecting? Um, interestingly enough, the abbreviated description of this article says... Women held back by caring about praise. Um, could this be the culprit for the woman-run dog training industry's insecurity around praise and correction? Could this be part of what fuels the all-positive movement if women are afraid of criticism because of thousands of years of history and also because the criticism is so much more personal compared to the words used to review men? Then perhaps we women are just projecting onto dogs, our own insecurity about negative feedback. Dogs, meanwhile, don't take correction personally really at all. Not to say that they don't sometimes feel emotion around it, but in general, they're just really straightforward and direct about boundaries. Dogs, I think, are clear that you're rejecting a specific behavior, not them as whole beings. Um, So, you know, people are complex Beautifully complex. I'm no, I'm no, no exception. Certainly, uh, I find people fascinating, and you know, one of the parts of my job that I love so much is working with people and dogs. You know, it's not just dog training and behavior. My expertise is understanding not only how to work with dogs, how to read them as individuals, and how to understand their behavior as individuals, as each individual case, but also how to bridge that to their human that they live with to train, you know, the human how to work with the dog, how to communicate with the dog, how to understand what their dog needs. And there's a lot that comes up, and I include a lot of those stories in my book as well with uh, some of my favorite client interactions that I've had over the years. So um, just really interesting stuff, and um, I kind of tie in a lot of this. And so in the next segment, 
I talk about this. Uh, so this was from a New York Times article, and I'll post the link on our website, which is, of course, dogradioshow.com. All of our over 350 episodes are archived on our podcasts page on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can also download all of our episodes for free from iTunes and find us on Facebook as well. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You can be a part of the conversation during the weeks. So I'll post an article. uh, I'll post this psychology today. Um, No, this was New York Times. And then a link also to the psychology today, um, Power of No cover story that I reference in the next segment. Uh, Really interesting to kind of, you know, we're talking about dog training and, you know, what's best to do for dogs. It's like we can't forget that we are humans speaking from our own perspective and potentially projecting our own thoughts and feelings onto dogs. So I think it's at least worth checking in with this and having some awareness. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll be talking about the power of no and how that pertains to your relationship with your dog. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Yeah, this is the story of famous dog. For the dog that chases its tail, will be busy. These are clapping dogs, rhythmic dogs, harmonic dogs. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Feed your mind and your body and spirit will follow. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we're back talking about a, let's see, the cover story on psychology today that certainly jumped out at me as I was standing in line. It's called The Power of No. How Setting Limits Sets You Free. Uh, What does this have to do with dogs, you might ask? Well, you probably already know the answer to that. You know, what does the word know or setting boundaries, you know, what is its place in your relationship with your dog? First of all, dog training, the world of dog training is not a regulated profession, for better or for worse. Um... There's no certain, you know, course where you, if if I want to be a, you know, if, if you want to be a dog trainer, you go and you do this four-year graduate level 
college program, get a degree, take a test, etc. Um, anybody can be a dog trainer, say they're a dog trainer, make it up. Um, there's no consequence. You're not going to go to jail for just being like, I'm going to be a dog trainer and then just go make it up. You might not get many referrals, but <laughs> um, it's not like being a psychiatrist or lawyer or doctor or something like that where you you can actually go to jail if you're like, hey, I'm a doctor, and then you're actually not a doctor. So there are tons also, too. um, There are so many different philosophies and ideas and training techniques and um, theories about learning and approaches and styles and all of these things. And it's one of the things that I've noticed with my clients over the years is that a lot of them come to me sort of overwhelmed because they do a lot of reading and they've read a whole bunch of books and have, you know, looked online and found all of this information. And then what they find commonly is that everybody disagrees with everybody else and one person says, do this, and then the other person says, no, don't do that, do this. And they don't know which end is up and which end is down. So um, I would say probably one of the topics that that um, manifests the most is the the concept of corrections, setting boundaries, the use of the word no. I've heard um, some people tell me that they've worked with other trainers who told them to never say the word no, because then the dog will think that you're saying no to everything, or I, I don't even know what that really means, but it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't think it gives dogs enough credit. Um, and then less so now, which is good, but certainly still, pre- um, you know, prevalent is also the, you know, the other end of the spectrum where you have people who still use sort of overly harsh techniques in working with dogs, uh, sort of using force, forcing submission all this sort of stuff, and I don't agree with that either. Um, I'd say one of the most important things is that every dog is an individual, just like people. Dogs vary as much from one to the next as people do, just in their dog ways. Different personalities, different temperaments, different strengths and weaknesses, different learning styles, different genetics, different history, different environment. There are so many factors. There's just no way that I could, you know, with this basic belief, really come up with one technique that's going to work for everybody because it just doesn't. Every dog that I work with is different. And I have to approach every dog as an individual and figure out what combination of all of the techniques out there work best for this dog. Generally speaking, dogs, I would say... This is probably one of the things I could say is probably as close to always as I can, is that they always do well with some combination of praise and correction, and that the two are generally balanced. It's not one or the other. Positive reinforcement. Yes, of course. Tell your dog what you like. In fact, even focus on that. That should be what most of your energy and time goes into, is is pointing your dog in the right direction, telling them what you like reinforcing the behaviors that are desirable, certainly not focusing on the word no, not focusing on correction and just correcting the dog all over the place because they're going to be like, well, what do I do? What, what do I do to get attention? What's the right choice? So just a balance. 
Um, there's all sorts of different techniques, and I would say ultimately you want to do what, what you're comfortable with as the human because you're going to have to be the one implementing it. And if you're not comfortable with something and if you don't get an explanation that makes you comfortable with what's happening, then go to somebody else. That's probably one of the most important things is that whoever you work with for training and behavior is a good fit for you in addition to having the skill and expertise to evaluate your dog as an individual. There's a lot, you know, and I think what's interesting is that it seems that our beliefs about how to work with dogs say more about our beliefs than it really does about working with dogs. Um, and the word no is is a big deal. I mean, there's a whole front page article on psychology today about the word no and about people's hangups around it and also about its importance. Uh, it says... Wielded wisely, no is an instrument of integrity and a shield against exploitation. It often takes courage to say it. It is hard to receive, but setting limits sets us free. Um, I'm sure most people have heard that in relationships, boundaries are necessary for healthy relationships. And I would say that that is certainly true for our relationships with our dogs as well. So there's uh, the article says, I'm just going to read some little um, excerpts here from the article, but you can get the full article, um, this current edition of Psychology Today. It's a magazine. I'm sure you can find it online as well. There's a lot of talk and a lot to be said for the power of yes. Yes supports risk-taking, courage, and an open-hearted approach to life whose grace cannot be minimized. But no, a metal grate that slams shut the window between oneself and the influence of others is rarely celebrated. It's a hidden power because it is both easily misunderstood and difficult to engage. It's likely that we are unaware of the surge of strength we draw from no because, in part, it is likely confused with negativity. Either can involve a turning away, a shake of the head, or a firm refusal, but they are distinctly different psychological states. And I think that that's an important point to really get clear about. And I love that they, you know, start this article out with that distinction is that a lot of times, and I've noticed this with dogs, people are like, oh, you know, they, they maybe they have a dog that, you know, they haven't worked with at all, haven't set any boundaries with the dog. The dog hasn't had any education or training. And it's, you know, maybe a dog with a lot of personality and a lot of presence and the dog's just developed a whole bunch of undesirable behaviors and the people are just like, oh, we need to get somebody's help. But they sort of dread sometimes, not not often, but sometimes I get people who have this um, sort of expectation of working with a trainer of that they're now just going to have to be like a militant disciplinarian with their dog and it's going to be very unpleasant and it's all just going to be about how bad the dog is and, you know, a very negative attitude around setting boundaries. And I love that this article pieces that out because saying no and setting boundaries does not mean that you generally have a negative attitude. Uh, the article says, negativity is a chronic attitude, a pair of emotional glasses through which some people get a cloudy view of the world. Negativity expresses itself in a whining perfectionism, a petulant discontent, or risk-averse naysaying. It's an energy sapper. Negative people may douse the enthusiasm of others, but rarely inspire them to action. Negativity certainly ensures that you will not be pleased. 
you will also not be powerful. Um, very, very well put. And I think that that connection between negativity and power is really important. The whole point of setting boundaries and saying no is that you're acting in a way that's powerful for yourself, saying where your limits are. And it's really important. And dogs, a lot of dogs, if they don't sense that strong presence in a way that's not generally negative, as this article speaks to, but just that there are limits, it can freak them out. They can get anxious. They're like, oh my gosh, this whole big scary world, it's all up to me. I guess I'm the one in charge. And then they just don't know what to do with themselves. So they just are ruled by their impulse and instinct. One of the things about the word no in working with dogs, not and it's okay, so it's not really about the word no. It's about setting boundaries and giving corrections. So no is a nice short word that has an inherent meaning to us. So it's, you know, sort of a natural thing to go go to um, for us as people. But dogs are not verbal. So I'm talking, it's kind of, I don't know contradictory because I'm talking a lot about this word no and this article speaks to the human world so it would talk about the word but dogs aren't verbal so it really doesn't matter I mean and a lot of people say no all over the place and the dogs are just like whatever and ignore them so just to clarify that you know when we're when we're talking about working with dogs it's really not about the word no. It's about what you do and how you're being when you say it. But the point of this conversation is about our discomfort in setting the boundaries in the first place. So that's why I'm focusing on the word here, because we're talking more about people than we are dogs. So I was talking about negativity. Where negativity is an ongoing attitude, no is a moment of clear choice. It announces, however indirectly, something affirmative about you. So the that's really important because dogs are in the moment. Dogs are moment to moment. If you watch dogs correct each other, which they do. And that's where if I if someone ever questions my position on you know setting boundaries and using corrections um and saying the word no, it's like well dogs correct each other. I mean that's sort of the way the world works. Like there sometimes are consequences. And it's not about being mean. It's not about hurting the dogs or scaring the dogs or intimidating them or whatever. But you have to be able to set boundaries. I mean, it would be like never setting boundaries with children. They tend to go nuts. So um, my always go back to how do dogs communicate? If we're going to try to educate a dog about anything, really we need to be able to speak their language, which is all the nonverbal stuff. And if we look at how they're structured socially... Dogs certainly set boundaries with each other all over the place, and they're not complicated about the boundaries. Dogs just like back off, you know, a little snap, back off, and then the dog backs off. Okay, cool. Don't take my bone. Okay, I won't. And it's not like, you told me no, and you hurt my feelings, and what does that mean about me? And, oh, you know, I mean, we people are so funny in how... um, complicated we can make everything emotionally and that one of the things that I find very refreshing about working with dogs is that they're just in the moment and you know it's just you if someone crosses a line you just tell them hey you crossed a line for me that you crossed a boundary and under ideal situations the other dog is like okay fine 
and then they don't do it again and that's it and then they're cool um so it is refreshing but i liked what they said about no rather than it just being it's not about having a negative attitude that's ongoing it's just about when necessary um communicating no in in that it's a moment of clear choice and it just is a very direct communication very simple and that's it and dogs are a really wonderful um, context to practice that because they are so in the moment and they also are not emotionally complicated like we are not to say that they don't feel emotion because they do but they don't have the the ego involved like we do you're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and I'm reading from Psychology Today's latest edition, The Power of No, How Setting Limits Sets You Free. And, um, you know, it brings up, there's certainly a lot that pertains to our relationships with our dogs, because this is an area where a lot of people struggle, and there's it's also an area where there's a lot of disagreement among professionals, whether to say the word no at all in the first place. Some people say you shouldn't say no to your dog ever. I don't agree with that, um, but it certainly is out there. Um, We are clearly, you know, I said earlier, our beliefs about how to work with dogs says more about our beliefs than it does really about dogs. Um, I think what's important is that we really look at how dogs communicate with each other and know how to communicate them using their language as much as possible. And dogs certainly correct each other. They are able to do so generally very effectively in ideal situations with socialized dogs, with what they have just given in their bodies, mainly their mouths, what's around their mouths. Dogs communicate with nonverbal communication. They don't use words. So as I'm talking about the word no, that's really... For us, because we are verbal, it's a way that we relate to setting boundaries, saying no, just say no. (laughs) Um, But dogs, they don't care if you say no or any other word. It's really what you're doing along with that. That matters. Um, The point of this conversation, though, is I'm really more speaking to the human aspect of this, not the dog. So that's why I'm focused on the word. So I've read a little bit from this um, this article, it's great. I really recommend it. It's from Psychology Today, their current issue, The Power of No. And um, talking about how in the first segment, no does not, I'm not talking about having a negative attitude. And that's really important. And, you know, they come out with this right in the beginning of the article. And it's something that I find myself clarifying for my clients frequently. So it must be a thing for people where we have these two things collapsed. Negativity is an ongoing attitude. No is a moment of clear choice. So I'm not talking about having this chronic negative attitude. And this is really important because, you know, people don't usually have questions for me about how to praise their dog effectively. We know how to praise. We know how to say yes. We have a hard time saying no and also, you know, to other people and also to our dogs. And part of that is maybe somebody doesn't have issues around setting boundaries, but maybe they just don't know how to do that with their dog in a way that's effective. One of the things that I want to make clear about this conversation is that if if you some were somehow able to measure, you know, positive energy t- towards your dog, meaning praise, Um, or reinforcement of behaviors that you like and then 
you know, negative energy. So not bad, but just fundamentally negative. So correction or consequence, if you were to somehow measure, you know, positive versus negative over time, we want the majority of that time and energy that you put towards your dog to be positive. You know, I think it's especially crucial for raising young dogs and it applies to dogs of all ages is that you don't want to be focused on and this happens you don't want to be focused on the problems the challenging behaviors the undesirable behaviors the annoying things that that your dog does or the irritating things that your dog does or whatever you don't want to be just focused on those all the time because then you're just feeding into those and you'll get more of that So we want to put our energy into mostly what we want to come back to us again. Um, You know, we want to frame our dogs as good dogs and skillfully keep them pointed in that direction. With a focus on what we want, we can cleanly and effectively acknowledge when they do something that needs to be negated. So it's, it's like about redirecting generally speaking focus on what you want show your dog what you want what you want what you want um and off air matt was just talking to me about his catahoula leopard dog mix and he was talking about jumping up and this is a great example well the dog is greeting we're not trying to teach the dog to not greet we're just trying to teach him to greet with different manners (laughs) or with manners and not jumping up setting a boundary well first of all We need to show the dog what to do, what we want them to do during greeting, because it's not about not greeting. So just if one thing that's really simple that generally works for dogs is, and especially if dogs are food motivated, is leave leave a bowl of treats outside. Anytime you or someone else walks in, every time you or someone else walks into the house, you have a treat in hand, the dog comes running over, And before the dog even gets all the way to you, you reach out your hand, assuming the dog does not have aggression issues towards people, and intercept the dog by engaging the dog's nose with the treat, ask them to sit. And um, if you do that every time, every time, every time, every time that happens, every time someone comes in, you ask the dog to sit. Every time someone comes in, you ask the dog to sit. Over and over and over again, you're essentially programming the dog, and the dog will just have an association. So what you'll start to see, someone comes in and the dog runs over and sits. Well, you have now put all of your energy and focus on what you want, not what you don't want. So you work on that, focus on that, put your energy into that. And then when your dog does still make the mistake of jumping up on you, despite all of your efforts to show your dog what it is that you want then you can clearly communicate, don't do that, by giving a correction. The correction could be something as uh, sort of simple and powerful. If the dog wants interaction, as soon as the dog puts a paw on you, you exclaim no in disgust and run out the door. The dog's going to be like, holy crap, what just happened? I caused that person to run out of here. That's the last thing I want. I'm excited to see them. And what caused them to do that was me jumping on them and putting my paw up on them. I have seen this have a profound impact on dogs. The dogs are like, what just happened? And then, then, and then when I come back in, praising them for keeping off, they are um, 
really thinking about what they're doing with themselves. So it's just putting some responsibility on the dog to control themselves. I'm not asking you to not greet me. I'm just asking you to not jump on me. So it's important that we focus on what we want, focus on what we want, and then when needed, certainly give the correction. Um, But what can happen is people have so much problems setting boundaries and they don't know how to give corrections. And then when they learn how to give corrections, they just focus only on the corrections and that's not fair to the dog, nor is it effective. Something else that I wanted to clarify too about corrections is that I often, you know, I say all all the time, I always balance positive reinforcement and correction in working with dogs in general. And as I just said, focusing on what you want. Most of your energy should go into what you want, what you want. That's a good sit. That's a good off. Good, good, good. Frame your dog as a good dog. And then set boundaries where they're needed and do it effectively. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean when I say that I balance praise and correction, it doesn't mean that they always go together in every situation. And um, there's certain things where you just need to establish with your dog, we just don't do that. Um, I was working with a a new client last night. Uh, We had a first lesson, a tiny little um, shih tzu, five pound shih tzu, year and a half old male. And one of the things that he does is he chews on cords, chews on the computer cords. And what what they were doing, because they had read, and in a lot of situations you do apply this, but not in this situation, that you tell the dog no and then praise them for what you want. But in some situations, that's confusing. And I liken it to shoplifting, like for kids. Shoplifting, for if you have a child, you just don't do that. So if you shoplift something, there's going to be a consequence. It's just expected that you don't do that. I'm not going to reward you for not shoplifting. And I'm especially not going to reward you for shoplifting, putting the item back on the shelf after you got caught. I'm not going to go and reward you for that. Oh, that was such a good no shoplift. Just don't do it. And there's definitely some situations like that, I think, with dogs where, you know, of course, in the context of focusing on on what we want, sometimes you just catch them doing something. You just want to extinguish that behavior and just correct the behavior and then don't go and right after that praise them. That's confusing. Um, So that's something that I hear a lot from people just to clarify that Um, in training a lot. Um, really training, mostly you're focusing on what you want, what you want, what you want, what you want. And then if they don't do it, once they've learned it, you just kind of wait, you know, make them do it using time, not force. Um, And really balancing the praise and correction. But there's some situations where you just need to tell them, hey, uh, don't ever do that again. And that's it. You don't need to go and praise them right after that. It's kind of weird. Um, Okay, so when we come back from break, I'm going to just share a little bit about what I've learned. As we're talking about setting boundaries, one of the things that this article talks about, it's from Psychology Today, uh, The Power of No, How Setting Limits Sets You Free, talking about what place that has in our relationship with our dogs. And really, one of the things that it comes down to is about being powerful. And this is an area where people aren't necessarily comfortable, maybe they're um, not confident in, in asserting themselves in general or maybe not just not with their dog and I see this especially with women 
And one of the things that I was inspired to do was research the history of the word bitch. Where did this come from? I think a lot of people know that it it's also the term for a female dog. How did women get it <laughs> labeled onto them? It's certainly not complimentary. So when we come back, I'll talk about that. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Who let the dogs out? The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, January 10th, it's a Talk With Your Animals Sunday with gifted animal communicator, medium, and Reiki master Darcy Pariso. Darcy can help you talk with and learn about your animal friends or help you connect with animal or human loved ones on the other side. So plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. On the AM band at 1150 and on the FM HD band at 98.9 HD3. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. Getting into some juicy conversation today about the word no talking about in the um, first part of the show uh, a article in the current edition of Psychology Today magazine, The Power of No, How Setting Limits Sets You Free. What does that have to do about your relationship with your dog? And uh, talked a lot about that. If you missed any part of this show or any of our almost 250 episodes now, you can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com and also on iTunes as a free audio podcast you can download them for free on iTunes just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes and a reminder if you are not already a fan of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook find us on Facebook and become a part of the conversation in between shows so 
switching gears a little bit, but it's definitely related. I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of the word bitch. Because when we're talking about setting boundaries, a lot of what we're talking about, I mean, in general, you can apply this to anything. My conversation is around communicating with dogs, but uh, this applies to relationships in general. We're talking about, you know, personal power, being powerful, setting limits. This is what I will do. This is what I will not do. And it's an area where people are a little jumbled. And I think maybe not, well, I think maybe especially women or women in a unique way. Uh, There has been a lot of, in our history, of being kept out of power. It still happens today. And one of the things that um, I recently researched was the history of the word bitch. Because something that I think is unfair is that it's a fine line that women walk to be powerful in the world and to not be labeled a bitch. Um, Being labeled a bitch is definitely not a um, compliment. It's not complimentary. We don't have a positive association to that. Generally, we think of bitches as unlikable, not fun to be around, not warm. So I was like, well, where did this come from? I know that it comes from the term for a female dog, but how did it get sort of moved over to women and you know, when did it happen and how did it happen? So I found a consistent information on the Internet, uh, one from Wikipedia and others um, from other sources that the word bitch originated around the year 1150 A.D. Uh, bitch comes from um, a word for female dog. And um, it was, let's see, the... The Oxford English Dictionary dates the term meaning female dog to around 1000 AD, so about 50 years prior. Um, The first use of the slang term seems to have originated to describe a promiscuous or sensual woman, a metaphorical extension of the behavior of a bitch in heat. So that's where the intact female dog behavior comes in. So originated to describe a promiscuous or sensual woman. Wikipedia then says, bitch remained a strong insult through the 19th century. Um, It says the most offensive appellation that can be given to an English woman, even more provoking than that of whore. And something that struck me was that it says that it remained a strong insult. And my question is, why would describing a woman as sexual or sensual be considered an insult that to me is just not fair and so it's like okay well what was the sort of climate you know in the you know 1100s (laughs) uh so wanting to kind of understand the times well it wasn't a really great time to be a woman for sure or really human um or a dog for that matter so what was the world like for women around the time of the first millennium In Christian Europe, which is where it originated, it was hardly a golden age. It was a violent time when nobles and their knights were preoccupied with holding on to their land, and peasants suffered periodic invasions of armies bent on destruction and pillage. All classes lived uncomfortably in rude, unsanitary houses. All faced recurrent famine, often caused by poorly tilled lands and disease, often caused by polluted water, tainted foods, and unsanitary living. In this disruptive time, 
the idea of chivalry toward women didn't exist. The killing of innocent women as well as children and the elderly commonly occurred in any town or castle that dared to resist an attack. In war or peace, anyone could be maimed or killed at the whim of those in power. In general, women were not held in high esteem and had few rights. Women were felt to be untrustworthy and more easily seduced by the devil than were men. No woman is good unless she be a saint, was a common saying. As potential sinners, women were expected to watch themselves and be ashamed of their clothes and beauty. In France, women were compelled to cover their heads. Hiding the hair was a symbol of a woman's dependence upon a man's will, as well as a way to protect her from male advances. In some parts of Germany, a husband still had the right to sell his wife. The physical punishment of wives was common, even encouraged, to keep the nagging women from talking back or being disobedient. Since women's intelligence was questioned, their education was limited to learning the skills needed at home. So that's the environment of the 1100s for humanity and for women specifically, and that's also the time that the term bitch transferred from female dog to human woman, and we are still using it today. Um, It's just amazing that something that originated in such a a time that really lacks credibility, um, that we're still really suffering from it. Because, you know, it's all about, um, you know, we're talking about power. So if if there is a term that is a, a def, definitely a negative term that gets applied to um, a woman acting powerfully, then it's going to dissuade women from acting powerfully. It's just not socially acceptable. And it's not fair because we do, I said earlier in the segment, we walk a fine line as women to be powerful and um, setting boundaries, having limits, getting stuff done. Um, oftentimes we get labeled as being a bitch and sometimes... You know, I mean, that's not a that's not a pleasant association, um, and we have a lot to learn, both men and women, about really, you know, true leadership, and uh, and how to motivate. And I think, you know, the world of working with dogs really opens up a lot of of really cool stuff around that conversation because dogs are great judges of leadership. They they do teach us a lot about leadership, especially in the context of the nonverbal communication. It's not just about talking, 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 but it's really about what you do, your actions, how do you motivate, how do you hold yourself, what's the quality of energy that you're generating. And there's just a lot there. And it's a conversation that I love being in with my clients, um, working with training and behavior and really, okay, how do how do we get you to kind of set some boundaries and, um, and maybe be more of a leadership presence to your dog, but without being unpleasant and without taking away your dog's will and choice and personality as well, um, because they have that too. So there's a lot there, a lot to talk about, and it's a conversation I'm in almost every day, and I'm grateful for that. If you want to learn more about my uh, training and behavior consultations, you can find me online at sensitivedog.com. And, of course, the radio show is found at dogradioshow.com. All of our episodes are archived online. Please find us on Facebook as well. So join us next week. Big thanks to the Natural Pet Pantry, and thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. 